Welcome to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. This is a project based on the learnings from Startup DNA and the founder's journey. Today's episode, Brad Zapp and Chris Jelm dive deeper into the problem solver profile. They will discuss the startup DNA profile of the problem solver and complement it by quotes from prior problem solver guests, Elise Tressley and Gary Darna. A few things you'll learn are what makes problem solvers unique, why they make good startup founders, and when you should hire a problem solver within your organization. Enjoy. All right, Brad, welcome. Chris, good to be here. Yeah, I think we've got a really fun one today. We're, I think we're starting to really hone in on our process and <laughs> how we actually want to do these. Well, you mean a couple of enterprisers didn't just jump <laughs> off a cliff? Yeah, we did. Yes. So, yeah, and video's coming soon, people, so get excited for that. Yes. Uh, so today we're, we're doing another crossover episode around startup DNA, and today we're exploring the problem solver profile. Uh, I'm a problem solver, so this will be a really fun one for me personally. Uh, but we'll really get into what makes a problem solver, how do they think, uh, how are they different from other profiles. Uh, so the problem solver, uh, the, the two people have quotes from today are Elise Tressley, CEO of Realm Foods, and Gary Darna, former CEO of Complete Set, and now product manager at a, a San Fran startup called Fast. So the problem solver lies in the enterprise vector. So in our startup DNA, we have five different vectors and we've focused this uh, entire season on the enterprisers. So all enterprisers like to take, take charge. They get energy from being in charge and mostly that just comes from when you're in charge, usually you have the autonomy to make the decisions that you wanna make. And all enterprisers are proactive and assertive. And if you go and listen to the individual podcasts of Elise and Gary, you will hear them even say those words. And they'll talk about how it's good in certain circumstances and bad in certain, certain circumstances. So the problem solver is the most reserved enterpriser. So they're typically not leading a band of merry men, or men and women or an entourage behind them. They sometimes they uh, work alone and they're solo and and that comes from their reserved nature. Some of their strengths, I think, is in their communication style. So once you get them talking, they are directive, uh, factual, outspoken and just completely frank. And I think that's um, pretty awesome. They're able to think big picture, anticipate problems. They challenge the status quo. And some of their pitfalls um, is they probably won't adhere to structure or direction. And they could be dissatisfied or uncomfortable working under close supervision, which would be normal for any enterpriser because they're going to they're gonna crave that autonomy. So one of the things that you also... You start to think about where the problem solver lies on the vector wheel is we're starting to move away um, from discipline and assertiveness and down towards, you know, proactive uh, and and that. So I think you'll hear some some really interesting stuff. Yeah. So as I mentioned, two founders we have, Elise and Gary, that will interweave into this. 
but you know, Brad and I, right before this, listened to both, took notes, and Brad knows Gary very well. I know Elise well, and just the similarities between the two, or I mean, they couldn't be any more different in terms of just people, right? Like Elise is from a big city, uh, dresses super nice, and you know is really well connected. And Gary's from Cincinnati. Uh, way more technical, and uh, it's it's just funny. You know, if you looked at the resumes, they'd be very different people. But I mean, I, it felt like I was listening to the same person. Did you you feel that way? I loved it. I was ready for this one. Um, I think all the podcasts have been great. I, I think you'll see Gary's reserve nature in particular in the first seventeen or so minutes of his podcast. But once he opens up, the second 17 minutes are freaking incredible. Yeah. So his first walk through kind of four overarching buckets of what makes a problem solver and weave uh, the two founders in. But the first main overarching thing you'll notice is they're really good problem solvers, as their name would uh, insinuate. And they're, they're really good at cracking anything. And generally they do that through extensive experimenting and testing. So I would actually help solve problems within the organization. Uh, an example of that, as I mentioned just earlier, was setting up that A-B testing program for Kroger. It's something that prior attempts failed to do um, for one reason or another. And getting that up and running required a lot of like creative thinking, right? We didn't have a lot of resources. It was a small team uh, and I had to figure out how to evangelize it, like how to sell not only the idea that we needed to build our own software, but the idea that you should run a lot of tests and a lot of them are gonna fail, but they're not worthless. You're just learning something from it. We're very focused on our customers. We're always having one-on-one -on -one conversations and surveying them and looking at the data and kind of marrying that all together to, to form conclusions um, and, and how we need to evolve and, and things we need to, to be doing on the product side, et cetera. And so um, we, we started to realize like, okay, we've been on the market for a while now. We know so much more about our customers. Like we launched, we gathered data, and now we know a lot more. Why not refine the branding to, to fit her and, and, and continue to, to improve, um, you know, the look, feel, and the way we're communicating with her? So I, I thought that was super knowledge. Being in personally, being from here locally, Cincinnati, when Gary starts talking about, he just throws it out there. Innovation requires failure. And it requires, it's a really strong word. And he goes in and talks about uh, all the experiments and you need to try a lot of things. And he talks about big companies that are successful at this. And he talks about his own personal challenges at the other companies. And it's just fascinating how obvious it is to Gary. Like it's completely, it's innovation requires failure. Wasn't a paragraph, it wasn't a wind up, it wasn't theoretical. It's just matter of fact, and he's right. But I don't think that has been Gary's experience when he's in the situation that he's describing is doing these innovation positions inside of the, the big companies. And, you know, the fact that that's a little bit challenging, um, they must have a different uh, take on that. But 
I think the problem solver, this is the first profile that starts to differentiate a little bit when, uh, when we think like as compared to the strategist, that while they like to try new things from a learning standpoint, I, they, I think they want to figure it out you know, the solution to the problem before they, they sort of dive in. And I think the problem solver is okay just identifying the problem and trusting their own skills to say, well, that's a problem worth solving. And I'm going to try a whole bunch of things to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. In Elisa's case, uh, as I mentioned on our podcast, I'm a customer uh, and she, she knew the problem she wanted to tackle, but yeah, she launched a brand, launched products, and you know, went through a branding change after already being in market. And then you know, I've got in as a customer lots of surveys and really well thought out uh, kind of testing and product flavor questionnaires that you know, I know on the back end she's then using to create even better products and flavors, which is something we have a, a handful of CPG portfolio companies, but it's the first one where I, as a customer, got this, and I know she's collecting data, analyzing in the back end to create better, more relevant products. Where I think a lot of times it just lives in R and D or the food scientist. So I, I really love the fact that she's taking that approach, and I think speaks a lot to just how she operates. Uh, and then Gary, I loved when he talked about. Both investors, big co's, if you're not failing, you're not winning. He didn't quite say that, but that's what he meant is everyone plays it too safe. And the longer you play it safe, the worse it'll be long-term for your company or your portfolio. I think for these enterprisers, like that's the biggest difference between like the rest of the world. If I, if I took off my professional hat and just walk through the rest of my life is Enterprisers compared, they're very comfortable with uh, unknowns and mistakes, and you know, not having uh, the the perfect, you know, the perfect plan and, and stuff like that. I, I even think, you know, the more buttoned up an entrepreneur is, probably least the less entrepreneurial they really are. From my experience, they're all a disaster. The good ones, anyways. Yeah, and they they struggle big time at corporations it's not even it's a it's a stopover it'll never be a long-term career it's just so interesting how they talk about or even you i'm sure just look at their resume and it's you know maybe a year two years max will probably be the only like stint at a company larger than 20 people i think gary's career path is the perfect example if people in, that are the economic development agencies and ecosystem builders in Startup Cincy really look at Gary's path as an identifier of what's different here versus clearly the Valley, but you know probably a, a half a dozen to a dozen other ecosystems when he says there's no soft landing. And he really is comfortable in the startup, early stage startup environment. And he would probably just bounce around, figuring stuff out, solving problems, you know, which I think all the enterprisers, you know, would do. But we don't have that here. Mm -hmm. And so he goes to the two wonderful corporations that do, you know, at least have some, you know, interesting, you know, jobs that, 
you know, founders and CEOs of early stage, you know, could, could adhere to, but he called it a vacation. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I loved that quote. It, yeah. I, I think back to my time at, you know, where I started my career and it, it was nice as, you know, high pay, low stress, non-mission critical tasks. And it's funny, the stuff you worry about there, you know, me, like hindsight is just crazy. It's not important at all. But I think with this mindset, once you get a taste of like mission critical, super innovative, like it's, it's really infectious. And Gary was cool because he called it intentional. He said he knew what he was getting into, but he he always had this um, desire, uh, and this might be a segue, but he wanted to gain that knowledge of how is it the Big Coast think? Because he said ever since he was a kid, all he'd ever been doing was starting companies. That That is a good segue. It's almost like we teed it up that way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, the second thing we noticed and uh, know from all of our research is this profile loves to become natives in the industry or product that they're working in. And they don't need academic rigor or you know, timelines or formal designations at all. They just go head first and learn on the fly. Um, and, you know, we went through that program. It was really transformative for the company and for me as a founder. I learned so much and kind of regretted not being in a program sooner because. There were things that maybe I would have done differently had I had that experience sooner in our journey. We were all very open with each other. Um, and I think that was really key to things working out is Dan Robert and I were very transparent, open and honest with each other about what we wanted out of the acquisition, um, what we wanted to do next. So, um, so yeah, it, it all worked out in the end, learned a ton, and I use a lot of those lessons now. <laughs> so I know in one of our other podcasts, I mentioned that Elon Musk might be a disruptor, but he also could be a problem solver. Mm -hmm. And I forget what article I read, um, but when someone was saying, well, how do you know all this? And he, and he frankly looked him in the eye and said, I read books, uh, you know, as, as just like, that's the, how you get educated. And, and I totally support that. But we've seen even other enterprisers that the formal education process, that the hard degrees, like the strategist, that was really valuable to them. And it meant, and it meant a lot to them. I think uh, if you go listen to Derek, and um, Jennifer's individual podcasts, and they lead in their introductory stories, you know, about, you know, their, their education and then their enterprise businesses, mm -hmm. their startups, you know, had, had components, you know, of that or their pathways that led them to that. And Elise's and Gary's are nuts. They have nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and so the, the inner, the problem solver, although very similar to the strategist, this is a pivot. That's different and noticeable. Yeah. Well, even I think of my background as in data analytics, I travel a lot. So I just started a travel community with my wife and then she kept getting promoted at our job more than me. And I really liked finance and trading. So I just, I quit, I funded an account and I started day trading and then <laughs> learned on, on the fly versus it, Almost everyone thinks I'm completely crazy for doing that, which I look back, I was, but it was, there was no other way for me to do it. 
it had to be, I had to start and learn on my own because I'm not sure why, but for me, I, I just, my brain doesn't work that way. I, I have to do and learn by doing. And it's not, it's not as if Gary and Elise weren't interested in learning. I mean, they, they they have the exact same desire, but they, they were just a bit more comfortable. I think just learning, um, experiential, you know, learning. I mean, both of them, um, when they started their companies, you know, we talked about, they went to accelerators and, uh, they, you know, I guess, and I don't think, um, cause they had bootstrapped their companies before. So I don't think the big draw to them was the financial stuff. It was, Hey, let's gain as much knowledge as fast as we possibly can was, you know, their theory on those experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking through at least trading, uh, startup, AI, machine learning, NLP, then to CPG. It's just the strangest. I think that's this is one of the only profiles that would probably be comfortable switching industries. And, you know, most founders, I think from what we've seen, they have certain background or technical expertise and that roots them in what they're building. But this, I think the, the problem solver is very adaptable in terms of what they can actually create. Um, and that's just, I think they're really interested in learning, uh, going really deep about whatever kind of makes them passionate. I thought Gary is interesting because he even, he even said, well, next time, and every one of these enterprises all have a next time. I mean, not once have they, you know, Jennifer joked about the popcorn stand, like, oh, just, you know, but she jokes, right? She's going be a popcorn stand that makes $20 million. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Gary says, next time I'm going to do, you know, B2B because of the community I live in and want to live in. Mm-hmm. And that's what they can accept. And that whole concept is fascinating. Yeah. And the other listening to um thing that makes this profile really unique they're super blunt direct and they're just listening to them they had the strongest feelings about uh, a lot of different things both their companies and then you know, one thing in particular that was really interesting was how they felt about the fundraising process but because we were a small team and there was only two co-founders myself included you know there was no one else really steering the ship when i was out raising money that was took up 80 90 percent of my time was just constantly following up with people get getting meetings getting introductions um, but that's part of the process unfortunately but i do feel like some investors could move faster either tell me no which is something i always appreciated about kinetic is that you and kyle are pretty upfront right you'll just say like no we pass um and i think that's helpful because it allows the founder to get on with finding another investor that maybe is a better fit for their company. It is on the founders um, to do their diligence up front as well. But um, yeah, it can be a, it's, it's, it is a big distraction from the business to be blunt. <laughs> yeah. Gary, he, you know, two, the two things that, that hit me and I, I do feel this is true is in you know, let's call this, I don't know what to call it, the Midwest or the Great Lakes. You know, we're at the we're at the northern tip, southeastern United States, we're at the southern tip of the Great Lakes, and we're at the eastern tip of the Midwest. I mean the tri-state. But 
Gary talked about the level of metrics and milestones that he felt he had to show investors in order to prove that his company had legs and was deserving of investment to get very little money as compared, you know, that he was saying, I'd, I'd read about this, you know, you giggle pre-money deal in mm -hmm. the Valley. And I don't know, maybe they had a prototype and boom, millions and millions of dollars. And he raises 2 million over like the life. Or if you get into Y Combinator, you're guaranteed 3 million. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he was very, just sort of Frank saying, I just felt I was held to a different, different standard. And then he was quick to point out too. And I, I agree. I mean, I was there along that journey that it's not even 2 million because most of the money, I would say 25 to 50% of those exact dollars were wasted on payroll during the fundraising process because Midwestern investors, the angels, they just don't pull the trigger fast enough. They're so worried. They're so worried. They're so worried. And this isn't a business to be worried. This is a business to take bets. And you need to place the money on the table fast. And Gary talks about that process where it just becomes this crazy cycle. I mean, he just it's it's tough. Having gone through that, having been an investor for six plus years, what would your let's go back in time? What would you have told him? Like, is was there any advice? And yeah, anyone listening to this that's launching a company in a really small area, like, is there advice that can help? with that problem or is, is it more of, you know, funds just have to keep move, moving inland and it's all a function of what the investors are, you know, the amount and the number of investors in your area. I mean, my advice, I mean, Gary, we're, this is, you know, 2014, 2015. And so I think the unfortunate bad luck of where he was born and located I, I don't think there would have been much help. Um, I think, he, you know, I forget uh, what what company it was, but honestly, he was going to win either way in the sense that he says in his podcast, even though the end financial income outcome of his company wasn't what he or the investors wanted, he, he, he gained material knowledge. So much so that even though he had an Acquihire offer, I believe from California, um, a startup, that he still still feels this is the right decision, but maybe not. I mean, you know, maybe maybe that would have been the right decision. Um, but how would he know or anyone know how tough the fundraising landscape really was in in two in two thousand fifteen when you just had just a you know just a handful? And the only other bites that I would give that I think would have applied for twenty fifteen that I'm that I know. Um, you know, applies today. And he went a little bit into this is sort of always be fundraising and casually be fundraising and be fundraising from every different avenue. So if, if I would say, Gary, go listen to Jennifer Williams podcast is what I would say and get educated on all the different types of the capital stack and don't just be chasing those angels around. And I think today there's better paper for founders early stage, like a safe where you can just collect money if you get someone that's interested. And if not, Gary could stay home and just work on his company. And I think that would, that would have benefit the company. Yeah. It's interesting. We, we didn't hear, I don't think any other fundraising strategies from Elise or Gary, like we did Derek and Jennifer. 
So it's an interesting, uh, there are many, especially now, uh, 2014 is tough, but a lot of different avenues now, whether it's crowdfunding, uh, revenue-based lending, SBA loans. Uh, so it's there's definitely a lot more flexibility now. And I thought Elise's problems were, I think this is a really cool topic too, because Sigari, um, I think he's an he's an attractive founder to receive a pitch fund from, you know, because he's very articulate. He's into innovation experiment. You can he's got a history of, of starting companies. Uh and I don't I don't think he had that problem not relating to the investors. I just think he didn't have, you know, you know, great early stage investors. But Elise, you know, she talks about she's the first one that was like said, hey, it's a problem. It's not a pipeline problem, but it's a problem that women don't get funded. Mm -hmm. And so she has access to investors in New York and Chicago. And so, you know, and she she's like, I'm a boss. Um, but she's still, you know, talked about that. So they both had fundraising problems, mm -hmm. but they were different. Yeah. Well, I loved and they both said they had the exact same feedback that was just give us a quick no. Like that is the biggest problem. Timelines and being wishy-washy on an answer. And so they just, no hard feelings. They're not going to be upset. They just need to know how to best prioritize their time. And the biggest annoyance for both of them, and I can relate to this, is just people ghosting you or drawing on the funding process for three to six months when you know, at the end, the reason that's a no, they would have known on day one. So in Lisa's example, it was, you know, revenue benchmark. Uh, why were, why have we been talking for six months if it was always going to be a no? Yeah. Or Gary's example was that Midwest investors don't like uh, consumer facing software or products. Yeah. And he's, he's not been wrong with that. And I, you know, that's one of the things that when we started our company, I mean, they're basic. But I always found it fascinating that investors would tease out like the the whole, you know, startup story from these founders and they would they would really just get into everything. And only later when they got into the follow up, like, oh, it's super interesting. Now let's get into the diligence and whether the valuation's too high or whether the revenue's too low or whether the location is wrong, those are very hard material facts that literally you could just ask at the beginning and you could collectively move on or collectively say, hey, not now, but maybe later. And, you know, at least talked about, you know, how powerful that was to, you know, either get to a serious conversation fast or, you know, move on. That's mutually beneficial. But it's, I don't, I still don't think it's like that out in the world. No. Well, and then... Even last week, I was talking to another fund, and they they were going to lead an investment. Ended up passing because one of their sixty five LPs said it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> so it's just it's so you have the highly emotional, like biased, just strange decision making process, and then you've got getting to a no because of something you knew all along. So there's just so many. Just crazy examples of how the process is just broken. Yeah, totally. Uh, so the last thing we'll dive into a little bit about the problem solver is 
They're really good at telling a story with data. And generally, the data they're using or the way they think about data is much more qualitative and unstructured uh, than some of the other more specialist profiles. Tell a story with data about your business model is probably more important than being able to effectively pitch it uh, to an investor or press or whoever. My favorite thing is understanding consumer behavior and our customers. So it was really fun to take that. And then you kind of get this, like, it's it's like, you know, you're launching the company again in a way, but with a lot more data and information. Yeah, this was awesome. They, they, they both got excited around this. Um, I'll let you talk about, you know, some of the, the section when, when she was going on about brand and, and so what she learned, but Gary was, in his podcast, he's talking about his learnings that he got from the Techstars Accelerator and how, you know, it wasn't so much building sophisticated, hardcore financial models, but maybe a little bit of unit economics from the ground up. And, and he said the words, how to tell a story with data. And just listening to the problem solvers, how they sort of lit up at that. And this is a, a slight departure from the strategist. So where they were very meticulous on, you know, just the accuracy and the quant side and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Uh, and, and we go down to the problem solver and it starts to become this blend. So it's still, it's still factual and data driven in particular in their minds, but now it's around more complex concepts. And I think that makes them super compelling uh, founders. Um, and when you listen to them and, and that's why I think they're successful becoming native experts at some topics that perhaps they weren't, um, natives in, you know, to begin with, uh, I think this ability, you know, to be comfortable with story, you know, storytelling with data, sort of that hybrid blend, I think, I think sets them apart. Yeah. Even Elise going through a, a rebrand and, most of the data she used to come up with new name and branding was all qualitative feedback from people and you know, similar with how she creates new flavors and products. It's very much qualitative. And yeah, she, I know she looks at CAC and repeat rate and it's more traditional things, but uh, it's more of the art of telling the story and making sure your brand is resonating. And so it's, it's very less super numbers driven. Um, I sort of feel like if you were to look at the enterprise vector, tell me if you agree with this. So if we start at the top of the strategist and if a strategist is fundraising, they have a lot of hard facts, data and numbers. And then I feel like if you roll down to the problem solver and their fundraising, their storytelling with, you know, more qualitative, you know, types of data. And then you roll to the disruptor. I feel the disruptor story tells with energy and it's infectious and people are like, I don't want, I don't even understand that, but I'm in because mm -hmm. it's different. And the accelerator, I feel like doesn't like pitch. They just go. They never had a pitch deck. <laughs> they, have nothing. they just They're go and you just better throw money on the ship. Do you buy that? My, my... I completely buy it. I mean, I can even, I can see about 20 pitch decks in my head <laughs> from different profiles. And yeah, it's, 
the strategist, beautiful. The, the business sounds so appealing. Problem solver, you love the story and the background. And a disruptor, you're a little confused, but you're excited. And then accelerator, like, I have no fucking clue what's going on. But if I feel like I'm missing out on something, you yeah. probably have the most FOMO like immediately with the accelerator. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. No, I love it. Okay. That. So that's, I mean, it'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. As we do some different seasons on the, there's, you know, four other vectors, you, you know, if we see a natural progression, because some of this, I feel like we're learning now that we're talking about it out loud. But yeah, especially doing strategist and problem solver, uh, back to back listening. I don't know. It's interesting. You brought up, I, I was listening to it with you, but then once you started explaining like the problem solvers they don't need formal education learn by doing and that once that's once there are things you realize like you can't not pay attention to them and it's just so strange listening to back-to-back -back founders with the same profile that i feel like you know, four to five sentences were almost identical and even in terms of tone and how they how emotional they get about uh talking so it's it's been really cool. What problem solver? If you're a big co, why would you want to hire a problem solver? If I was a big co, this is number one, this is a person. So if, if you, if you are tight on budget, which it doesn't, it seems to me like no matter how big the big co is that all their departments are tight on budget somehow because they've already allocated somewhere else. So if you want to if you want to start something new on someone who's very comfortable working alone, I'd start a any new division with a problem solver. I mean this is this would be that problem solver might be my number one choice inside a big go to to start something new. Um so you'll get they'll have a little bit of rails to work on. They can work in office by themselves and they'll be just completely happy. It you know, so on and so forth. So I, I think that's um, I, I think that would work out really well. <laughs> I just since we did strategist earlier, I'm just laughing. Uh, strategists have budget, have lots of money. Go get a strategist. That's <laughs> and, not right. When you have money, solver, when you no have budget. no money, get the. Well, it's true. Oh, I know why you picked me now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, right, because it's like less questions. Mm -hmm. It's like I have this idea. I don't really know what we're doing. I can give you a sort of salary, and I'll mm -hmm. tell you nice things. And <laughs> that's when you put the problem solver in. The strategists and architects, you better have money, you know, to pay them. But um, no, it makes it makes sense. It's and I don't think great. the problem solver is not going to be. This is my opinion. Big companies, they are interested in innovation. I mean, some more than others, and they've got all this figured out. But I'm just talking about the ones that are still on that journey. Mm -hmm. Is if you put a disruptor in that role, um, it's going to be potentially quite abrasive to the entire organization. And if that's what you want, get the disruptor. I think the problem solver and disruptor, you know, are going to, you know, be be similar. But the, the disruptor is going to be a much more of a change agent, not work within the rails. And the problem solver is going to do a bunch of science experiments and deliver the results to the strategist, you know, and, and be like, here's what I found out. Accelerator. That's the only enterprise here. I feel like we're wrapping up the enterpriser with this 
this last episode. So can anything really control a comet? I don't know what to do with the enterprisers <laughs> ever, or not the enterprisers, but they're all enterprisers. The um, accelerator, yeah, the accelerator. Look, if you're if if you're running a campaign or a contest, you know, and or you're raced uh, product race to market, and you need a few corners cut. Um, but you're, you know, you're retailer number one, you want to beat retailer, you know, two through 10, then find the accelerator organization, give them a deadline. They're, they'll thrive with deadlines because those aren't scary so like to them. Contract basis. I need this in two months. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Anything like that. I'm not sure the problem solver is going to, um, I don't think they like working in those constraints. I don't think the strategist necessarily even thinks in terms of those constraints because it is what it is. Um, I think an accelerator it takes as long as it takes. Yeah. The accelerator is like, if you have like deadlines that you're important to your organization and that's the most important thing, accelerator hit them. No problem. I love that. Uh, all right. So the, the other thing we do, I'm a problem solver founder. I'm hiring. It will start with my co-founder. I'm looking for a co-founder. Who am I going for? Oh, I mean, let's think about this. I think the problem solver, if if we're going, you know, co-founder, I think they would do well with a subject matter expert. So it's one vector over. I think it's going to probably bring that. So the problem solver, I think, brings a way of thinking. And the subject matter expert is going to bring the subject matter. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, to, but they're very close, you know, in the, in the, just the northernmost sector on that wheel. So they're not going to have terrible conflict because the problem solver is proactive, but it is not near the most proactive profile. And the subject matter expert is reactive, but it's not near the most reactive. And that assertiveness is going to bind them, you know, together. So I think that's going to be, um, a deadly combo, I think. And we're just talking co-founders here. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've seen accelerators and problem solvers. I think I think the problem solver is going to like anyone in the enterprising sector. And so if two enterprisers can get along with who, you know, when you've got to a, a resolve an issue, who gets the final vote? If there's no problem with who's number one and who's number two, I always think two enterprisers can work, and I think the I think the problem solver being the second one, yeah. uh, you know, will will probably go pretty well. But I'd love to see a subject matter expert um, with with a problem solver, and then vice versa, rolling down the influencer mm -hmm. with the problem solver. So those would be my outside the enterpriser sector. I would say influencer because um, it's about the same distance away as the subject matter expert, just to the left instead of to the right. Yeah. Those would be my two. Yeah, I like that. I agree. I think a lot of it obviously comes down to what the company's doing. What's Elise's co-founder? Uh, influencer. So I was going to say, if the company is selling something, yeah. but it's not really a tech company, yeah. and you have to create a brand and an ecosystem and a customer base, I, I, I think Problem Solver Influencer, Problem Solver Closer are both like pretty amazing combos but if you're building something like if you're not going to sell if you're just your wife to, a closer yeah yeah okay there you go she handles all the stuff <laughs> I, I don't want to do like she would do all the fundraising and sell a product and i'd strategize and um 
you know, experiment, experiment. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if you're building a product, then yeah, I think a SME academic, uh, something yes. in the specialist sector. I've always worked. I don't know many because SMEs are pretty rare. Totally. But the ones I have met and worked with, uh, like Christian, who we used to work with, like that was great. I I want more Christians just to it's execute what I what's in my head. Watching each of the profiles, you know what the other profiles that they you know fall in, like the accelerator operator love affair, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, disruptors and influencers. Um, you disruptor know, mingler. Disruptor mingler, right? Excel the the opposition of the accelerator artisan, but probably the love affair of strategist artisan. Like it's just <laughs> it's. I mean, it's yeah, fascinating. It's, it is. You know, to to me. So, but yeah, influencer. It's me. If you're a problem solver and you're looking for a co-founder or the next hire, I would definitely. Um, at least interview a few of those and see how it feels to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Well, I think we just wrapped up Enterprisers. It feels pretty good. Feels great. Um, that's a super interesting vector. I'm looking forward. I think we're going to do the, because we talk about them a lot, we're going to do the specialist vector. I think it's going to be a big time contrast. Um, you know, when people listen to the individual interviews of the architect subject matter expert academic and artisan it'll be a big comparison but this has been super fun uh so grateful for the founders um because it's really about their stories and uh i learned a lot from them yeah and it's i learned a lot about myself too like there's something you know you get an output a little piece of paper explaining yourself but then listening to people that are like you it's you can you start to see things like, oh, yeah, I, I'm really good at that, or I struggle with that. So I, I don't know if you had the same thoughts as you were listening to other disruptors. Uh, yes. I mean, you, you can, I think you can see your profile a mile away, even if you didn't know what it was before. And so I, that's what I always hoped, that if you're a person out there and you're listening to this and, and you're thinking about working at a startup or founding a startup, Eventually, you're going to hear someone on the podcast where you're like, oh, that is totally how I view the world. Well, that'll be a big signal that that's you. And maybe it'll be something helpful that comes from that. Yeah, I, there are a couple of people I've listened to their podcast. And I, I've, I've thought that two, two in particular, but it's there's a couple. I'm like, oh, I wish I was like that. But yeah, well, and what maybe I, that's it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, Brad, this was fun. Yep. We will be back next month with yes. uh, some specialists. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. Kinetic Ventures is an early stage VC that is disrupting venture capital by replacing the pitch with an automated data-driven approach. What's the benefit? A completely unbiased investment process that allows funders to spend more time building their business. To learn more about Kinetic or apply for funding, please visit us at www.kinetic.ventures.